0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad and with me as always is my good friend Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Uh, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a bunch of cool cars to talk to you about this week. If you were interested in reading about some of the cars that we test and uh, the other things that we get to cover, you can can find our content on a bunch of sites on the internet. Me, in particular, you'll find me at autoguide.com. And Ben, you can find him at more than just autoguide.com. You can find him... At driving.ca, you can find them at autotrader.ca, you can find them at Haggerty, you can find them at the driving line. What else is there, Ben? What am I missing? Uh New York Daily News. Ooh, that's a good one. I always forget that because I don't get my news in New York on a daily basis. No, you don't get any news daily.
1: You're more of a weekly digest kind of guy. <laughs> exactly. That's why just... you're always you're always emailing me Friday nights like, can you believe what happened? And I'm like, Yeah, I, I really can. <laughs> that happened five days ago, Sammy. Get up catch up already. Um, Anyways, this week we're going to talk to you about cars
0: instead of the weekly uh, news digest. Um, Ben, I'm going to go first this week because I got a really neat car that does some really cool tricks that you would not imagine. Uh, I drove the new Mercedes-Benz. It's a 2020 Mercedes-Benz GLE class. Well, wait a minute. It's only 2018. How is this possible? Aha. Through the magic of branding, my friend. Um, The 2020 Mercedes-Benz GLE, well, it's going to come a little bit later in next year, which is important because... Um, there were a couple of things that I could have fixed in the, in the test drive that I had. So I drove two versions of the vehicle. I drove the Mercedes Benz GLE 300 and, uh, 450. Okay. And what sorry, does that mean? Three, sorry. I got them. I got the numbers mixed oh up. Oh my, my goodness. Friend.
1: See, this is why cars should have names.
0: They should have. I mean, if this was called the Mercedes, uh, comfort mobile, I would never forget it. Or the right?
1: Mercedes Starfire. What? Even, or the Mercedes? They go to, the
0: Mercedes? They go to DC Universe to get a name for their car. The
1: Mercedes Olive.
0: Oh, that's good. Does it only come in like black and
1: green? Well, it, like Toyotas with their with their like what the Toyota Maximum Comfort Experience? Like you know, I mean, Mercedes is already killing it with acronyms like Distronic Go Plus 3000. Like why not apply is that? Is Distronic an acronym? I thought it was just the name. I, I can't, It's all capitalized every yeah. time I see it, so I can only assume it's an acronym. <laughs> Long ass acronym. Yeah, well, you um, know, it's it's a complex technology. So, well, why okay. not apply that to uh to the to the vehicles too? Anyway, to the whatever, okay. whatever.
0: GLE GLE 350 and uh let me see here, GLE 350 and 450. Now I nailed it. Holy cow! I found like a really good
1: journal. Yeah, today. unnamed automotive podcast where we can't remember <laughs> the cars we drove two weeks ago.
0: Okay, the GLE 350 is actually powered by a turbocharged four cylinder, and the 450 is powered by a six cylinder, a straight six. How neat is that? And is it twin
1: turbo or is it single turbo? I believe it is a single turbo. Okay.
0: And it is paired with electrification technology, a 48-volt mild hybrid system. Um, Now, I'm going to start with the bad here in the the GLE because – you know what? We always start with the good, and then we bring the podcast on a on a sour note before we go into the next uh, subject, and that always ruins the mood, right? I,
1: I have no memory of any of our past podcasts, so I'm just going <laughs> to agree with you, and yes, that's what we do. So let's okay. not do that, right? That's the that's no, the. No, we're going to
0: start on the low point. Okay. The Mercedes-Benz GLE is, um, is not as fun or sporty to drive as two of its biggest rivals, the BMW X5 and the Porsche Cayenne. Okay, Okay. Does that matter? Absolutely not. Like 0% no. In fact, as much as I like the G- the the X5 and the and the Cayenne, which are fun to drive for big sedans, every time I get in them, I look at the target demographic and I say, "Yeah, but why would I want to put my fr- my friends or family in this car and drive like a like 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 a BMW driver, or a Porsche driver, <laughs> like um, with my with my foot to the to the to the to the floor and just try to carve up every turn I can. I because you're late, a... you're late, Sammy.
1: You're late. You're terminally late. In fact, it's a problem. All of our, all of your friends are we're trying to figure out how we can intervene and get you back to a world where you don't have to constantly be foot to the floor all the time, especially when there's young children in the car. I mean, I'm just projecting into your future when you maybe you procreate. But um, that would be my answer.
0: Um, that might be true. As you know, I am ex- extremely punctual In and fact,
1: super fertile. <laughs> no exaggeration.
0: I told you to keep that information private, Ben.
1: Well, I'm sorry. Highest bidder, and now it's out there. Okay. So the
0: Mercedes GLE is not nearly as uh, sporty. It's not nearly as fast to drive. Uh, I'm mean, fast to, to accelerate as the X5 and Cayenne, but it is unbelievably smooth it has a gorgeous interior and it has some pretty funky technology um that's kind of like um it kind of shows off a little bit so i'm gonna start with um with that technology it's called e-active body control it's only available on the gle 450 so you have to get the model with the mild hybrid
1: 48 volt system is it is the e-active is that an acronym I don't think so. It's what, not in all capitals. What's the horsepower difference between the four-cylinder and the six? Oh, we're going to go back to the horsepower numbers. We're going to be back to. Uh, <laughs> it's about 100. Uh, about 100 and it's 108 horsepower. Okay. And I assume there's a pretty big torque difference, too.
0: There is a, let me look at these numbers, get them right, about 80-something. Okay. Uh, so how much torque, torque is in the six? In the six is 369 pounds feet of torque.
1: Okay. No further questions.
0: Okay, good. Phew, that was tough. I never I'm always concerned about the questions you're going to you're going to sling my way about the I, I, you're not going to talk to me about the wheelbase, are you? Because I don't have the wheelbase numbers up.
1: Not yet, but I'm working up to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or the track? As I come out of the semi-dream state that I go into <laughs> just prior to every podcast in order to psych myself up for a human interaction, questions start to bubble to the surface.
0: Okay, we're talking about e-active body control. Okay? You're All right. Into it. Yes. E-active body control. Um, I'll talk about the the really practical element of E-active body control. It can actually, when you're driving the car, you can put it into this um, curve mode. And when you come to, into a corner, the car will actually tuck into the turn, kind of like a motorcycle driver,
1: uh, a motorcycle rider might in a in a sharp co- corner. So is that disconcerting at all? Because typically you would want a car to stay flat through a corner. Uh, It's... It, it is bizarre. It's a little bit opposite what I would expect. But apparently what this does
0: is this movement – and it, o- it only moves a, like a, a very um, – a mild three degrees. Could okay. you notice it when you were driving? Up to – three degrees is the maximum it can, it can tilt in. Yeah, but you're, you're flat out all the time, so I assume you hit the max. Um, well, there's actually three – There's actually three different settings for it. So there's a mild version, there's a medium, like the normal version, and then there's the maximum version of this curved setting, which is meant to just show off. There's no additional, like, advantage to going from that second stage to the third stage. It's just to show people that this car can do that it's That's a very so weird. weird
1: like that that doesn't make any sense to me at all it's so yeah, you want to show totally people
0: total. yeah you I have more of this to tell you about just give me a second let okay. me talk about this one. what this does apparently is by leaning into the turn and leveling out after the turn um predictably in that way it mitigates um car
1: sickness Ugh.
0: which is actually kind of cool I'm into that because sometimes can I just put big,
1: a bracelet on a pressure point and spend like Fifty thousand dollars less.
0: <laughs> yes, you could, I suppose. Couldn't I just buy
1: mean? an infinity bracelet from Alex Chu and live forever? Um, that we're not so sure about yet. All
0: right. There's also it also reduces a tiny bit of the steering effort involved in in the um, in the cornering uh, capabilities of the car. It's very interesting. It's quite. It's like it's dramatic to see from behind the wheel because you can actually see the car leveling out more after the turn and i think that that action is much quicker than the turn in action so you end up seeing it level out faster than you see it tucking in what parts are
1: moving what parts are moving under the car to make this happen
0: so it has the each each wheel has these really incredible suspension um dampers they have 120 millimeters of total travel each they can they can go up and down one hundred and twenty millimeters so it's uh, just dipping the damper yeah, okay and now this is important because they have this like um man I can't remember the name of it because I think it was it had a really silly name I think it was called like free mode or free driving mode or something like that um, essentially if you get this car stuck in sand or snow or mud, you would use this um, this mode which raises and lowers the suspension very quickly um it it bounces up and down almost like a low rider um and then you can drive it forward and by that kind of bouncing motion it gets itself free now they showed it to us without any anything bogging the wheels down and it just looked ridiculous it looked like a car that was like having a seizure um and i'm not sure it, it it looks it actually looked silly um and they only showed us videos of it getting out of the sand, stuck sand. And uh, I think the best way to describe it is I think if you've ever been stuck, you used to rock the car. You used to like somebody would get to the back of the car or the front of the car and like push and uh, like in a pulsating form and then uh, in a pulsating process. And then um, the car would eventually get that momentum to roll forward through its um, whatever's holding it down, the snow, for example. So that's their that's their approach. Now you don't need a second person to do that. You just need to look ridiculous while bouncing this car around.
1: Okay, so I have a lot to say about this. Yeah, um, go for it. Uh, I, well, I, I want to know. What do, an- do you I think, don't have Sammy? All the answers. I don't, do you, don't have all the answers. Yeah, but what, what do you think? This. Are you into either of these ideas? Like straight uh... up, straight up. If you If someone presented those, if you were in a board meeting and someone was mm-hmm. like, I have an idea how we can get people talking about our SUV, we'll make it do this. Would you fire that person immediately or would you be, okay, let's talk about it? Okay,
0: I think that isn't a completely useless feature, but maybe for the GLE class, which is honestly to me a suburban mall crawler, it is not the right feature for that vehicle. If it was in the G class, now we're talking. That's that's a car that could go up, that's supposed to be going off-road, that's supposed to be tackling incredible terrain. It's built to do that, I mean, if you look at the proportions of a G class, for example, in comparison to the the proportions of this GLE class, which is much more um, lower to the ground, it it uh, it doesn't have like locking differentials the way that a G class would, which would help it in such off-roading situations. Um, on the other hand, we've seen we both live in cold climates where we've seen people get stuck in the snow. Granted, these people are probably ill-equipped for the snow because they're not using winter tires or something. But it happens to to people anyways. And something like this might be able to help them get out of that situation um, in those few times that it could happen.
1: So there is a new G-Class that just came out, and that yeah. doesn't have this technology, does it? No, it doesn't. No. You know why? Because the G-Class <laughs> is too heavy. I don't think it's because it's too heavy. I, it I doesn't would...
0: have a 48-volt mild
1: hybrid system. I, I think that it's probably maybe because it doesn't need it because no one needs it. That's kind of – it's just – when I look at something like this, especially that, that driving sickness thing, mm-hmm. all I can think about is how much complexity has been added to an already very complex and not all that reliable vehicle once they're out of warranty. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a nightmare idea to me to have to maintain a system that is addressing a problem that I don't think anyone really asked to be addressed. Uh, no one's ever asked for a vehicle that leans like a motorcycle certainly not a truck that does that and yet here it is and it's it's stuff like this that makes me think we're like in rome just before the fall of the empire and it's just decadence (laughs) and there's no new ideas left so people are, are like oh how can we differentiate things and i think for a while what we were seeing was that whole uh info not necessarily infotainment but connected car thing where they're like oh you can you'll be able to shop from your car and you can you can connect to your home with this smart controller that will let you turn off the lights or check the heat from your car when you leave. And that was like their way of trying to differentiate. And now it's like, oh, we have a suspension system that leans and bounces up and down. And I kind of just want a suspension system that after 50,000 miles is still working properly. That's really all I need out of a suspension system. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone bounce a car out of snow. Um, (laughs) The only time I've seen someone bounce on a bumper is to try and get more weight on the rear wheels of a vehicle that's stuck. But Mm -hmm. I don't think... You know, flexing the car up and down is going to get out of snow. Out of sand, I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of sand experience. Maybe that helps more there. Hmm. But uh, it just really seems like a gimmick to me. And it, and the fact that we're talking about it instead of talking about anything else about the vehicle is kind of to the detriment of the vehicle because I assume it's a good SUV, right? It's a very good SUV. I want to continue talking about it because this is one of the things that is supposed to differentiate the
0: vehicle from its competitors. I think I told you in the um, X5, it has some some really interesting air suspension systems that can, like, detect when it's uh, driving in some very deep rainwater and raise the vehicle and close the shutters, for example. Deep conditions, Sammy? Uh, no, it's not a Lincoln product. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, I I – hear you about the durability aspect of this system and in fact i've seen so many uh i think they're called the gl before they called it the gls and uh ml um old ml's with that air suspension i can't remember what it's called air matic i think and these things are like tilted in one way or another
1: because but that's almost the... any luxury car with air suspension i okay. mean it's... And it's
0: driving down the road and it looks broken right yeah so I went to the, um, uh, one of their engineers and I said, look, uh, you guys don't have the, the best visibility in terms of the suspension um, durability. What's the durability? What do you, what do you anticipate? How, what did you do to improve the durability of this system? And they looked at me dead in the eye and they said, we anticipated it will last at least 15 years. That is said, absolutely impossible. <laughs> I said, really? We had I this said, conversation, you, I think. What if you Yeah, I told you. And I said, what if you use that weird bouncing system every single day? Every day you you it it's you're caught in a sandstorm, your car's you have to undig you have to dig your car out of the sand every morning, and you have to use that bouncing system every day. Uh, he says, Oh, you'll very likely break the car before the system. And I said that's your solution to that question like i was so confused that that was what they had to tell me
1: okay first of all a sandstorm (laughs) is actually called a haboob just so we get that out of the way uh and um i'll be sure to call
0: it by its appropriate name in the next podcast we talk which is uh haboobs for you and me
1: and the other thing i want to say is so this is a so they're saying okay this system's going to last 15 years the 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 gle is a mid-range mercedes-benz product This is a company whose flagship product, the S-Class, is not reasonable to own after 10 years because of just how complex it is to maintain over time because of all the systems that are inside of it. So the best product Mercedes makes doesn't last 10 years in terms of maintenance. And they expect us to believe that a mid-range product is going to last... 50% Fifty percent longer than their best best made product does. That just doesn't seem to make sense to me. And I don't yeah. think I don't think anyone expects it to last fifteen years because these vehicles are designed to be leased and then resold as CPO. That's and the business what?
0: plan. Then what? Then what? Like recycled to the next CPO buyer until until in eight years you just can't have it. I mean, you just can't afford to upkeep it anymore.
1: No, and it's it's disappointing. <laughs> it's disappointing to like not have that that level of transparency. Like, why can't Mercedes say you know we acknowledge that this system is perhaps more advanced than most buyers would want. Is it optional, or do, does it come it on all It is
0: optional. In fact, there are two optional... Uh, there's two advanced susp- suspension systems. There's a base steel suspension, which you'll find on the 350. Then you can get the air suspension, and then you can get the e-active body control on, I, the, I just, on the 450. It's like... It, I don't
1: know. So you're I don't, picking I don't,
0: your poison right now. You're either getting that e-active body control or air suspension.
1: Some I, car I like just that. think... I just think that the the GLA is a good enough vehicle that it doesn't need a gimmick like this. And I think it detracts from the vehicle itself. It's just kind of silly. Now, I'll add, when we're not talking about these gimmicks, the, the leaning, the curve
0: function, and this uh, free riding mode. Oh, I also, you can, artic- there's a system in the car. There's a screen in the car that allows you to change the articulation of each wheel individually. You can raise, for whatever reason, your two right wheels. You can raise... You can lower your corners for some weird reason. It would, It is the funniest thing, and I asked, why is this ever a reason? And he's like, well, maybe if you're going off-roading and you need to stabilize the car or something, or if you want to show off to your, to your neighbors. What
1: if, uh, can I sync it to the beat of the stereo? Wouldn't that be great? Can I do it? No. No sale. No deal. Okay, when we're not talking about these gimmicks,
0: I have to say the GLE is one of the Smoothest riding vehicles I've ever tested in its class. Way better than the X5. A million times better than the Cayenne. I haven't driven a, a Range Rover Sport in, in a little while, or uh, I have driven the Velar, and this is more comfortable than the Velar for sure. And they should really be, they should really be pointing that aspect of the car out there. Um, now this might have a lot to do. It has some high sidewall tires. It has some very very um, eco and quiet oriented tires um and the cabin is very quiet i'm very impressed with that it has so it's
1: eco oriented tires with an off-road oriented suspension system that's 100 percent right
0: okay and
1: you can get uh, we did see some
0: vehicles with the performance um wheels they're a little bit bigger i think they're 21 or 22 inch uh wheels and they were much better um to drive they're not up to the standard of the x5 or or the cayenne but they're more enjoyable to drive in that aspect um, moving into the car though, actually, you know what? You you brought up the the what's it called? The powertrain. You wanted to know a little bit more about that powertrain,
1: right? I did, and then you told me about it, and now I, I feel I feel sated. Okay.
0: Um, that four cylinder model isn't that slow. It does about seven seconds to highway speed, which is nice. And the six cylinder will do five point five seconds to, to highway speeds, which isn't which isn't slow at all. No, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, some people might be wanting a V8 model, or, or, I mean, I suppose that'll come later with these AMGs. Yeah, there'll be an AMG V8.
1: I, I don't think people will, I don't think it's a problem for this to have a 6. I mean, it's it's just, I, I think it's a complete non-issue.
0: One of the issues I did have with the car was the transmission. Uh, for whatever reason, the transmission was really slow, was sometimes, this is a nine-speed automatic. And was sometimes uh, really harsh, even when we're not in the sport mode, could just slam into a gear or or really stumble its way into a gear. This is something that I imagine they're going to refine between now and the actual fin- like full production version of the car. I think we were driving some pre-production or early production vehicles. And um, that's probably why there's still going to be almost a, probably a year until it reaches our shores. Um, and I, I anticipate them to improve the the operation of that nine speed, for sure. It needs it. Um, what else do you want to know? We should talk about um, the all-wheel drive system in the six-cylinder model can send 100% of the power to either uh, axle, which okay. is pretty impressive. And other people, the reason I like this car a lot is it's got a gorgeous interior, a, a simply fantastic interior um, that doesn't feel excessive in the way that some of the the way the X5 does uh sometimes the X5 can can get a little I don't know conservative a little bit too and then a little bit too many buttons and then it's just boring I don't know what the I don't know I don't know what BMW's interior designers are really thinking uh, in fact in some so many of their newer cars the GLE on the other hand is a very very clean design it's got that fantastic um interior design language you know where they use like these really neat silver toggle switches for many of the the controls yeah Uh, I think you started to see that in the S class and the C class and now it's trickling to the rest of the vehicles. And I I, it's one of my favorite aspects of the car. They've replaced all of the circular vents with like squirkles. They're kinda like squares with rounded corners. Did you just say squirkles?
1: Yeah. Am I last on the Is that a word?
0: I don't know. I made it up. We make stuff up all the time. Like Distronic Plus Pro.
1: Oh, yeah, we totally make stuff. This is the Making Stuff Up podcast. Um, <laughs>
0: and it also has this um, new Mercedes Benz interface called uh, MBUX. I always want to call it MBUX. It's not fair that they keep telling me that that's not what it's called. What's it called? MBUX.
1: Oh, my goodness. But there's a vowel in it. MBUX. Wait, I is this that. an acronym too? Uh, Mercedes Benz User
0: Experience, I think. Okay. MBUX. MBEX Tronic. It um, is kind of like a smart home in the way that you can say, "Hey Mercedes," and then um, ask it to do stuff for you within the car. So you can tell it to change the HVAC settings. you Can tell it to change to open or close windows or turn on.
1: Or you um, could just like reach over and hit the switch, right? You can. Do oh that yeah, 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 yeah. yeah if you have, if you're it still driving, has those. It still if you're, has those. you're driving, presumably you have arms. Uh yeah, you, I, at I, least I, one functional arm. Yeah. Okay. I'm just glad we talked can, about that. You can ask it
0: um, questions about things you don't know. It defined uh, a <laughs> word. I can't
1: remember what word it was for was me. Was it squircles? <laughs> yeah. Or did you say, hey, M-Bucks, what's squircles? And it it's said, don't call me M-Bucks. And then it went squircles. And then it just started smoking because squircles is not a word. Um, it can also – it like taps into
0: Yelp and can uh, tell you if you want the best you know restaurant in town. It could – um find it and uh, according to their Yelp rating.
1: And Bucks, and, where could I find an nice, an affordable squirkles party? Uh, and I can figure that out for you. Sammy was Squirkles your nickname in high school? No. Okay. Do you want to tell me what it was? No. Okay.
0: I'm not sure I've been told that i would have racist connotations, so I'm not I'm not sure I'm going to tell you it. Wow. Maybe.
1: Okay. That was unexpected. <laughs> um there's also these <laughs> massage seats in the car. You know
0: how cars have massage seats sometimes, right?
1: I, what uh, sorry i'm still back on racist high school sammy not me people called me this and anyway. they called you a racist name okay yeah. that's not cool all right well, i'm sorry i probed deep into that yeah I, i'm gonna go back to just calling you squircles that's cool because that's not racist i'm just
0: trying to get through this podcast one podcast at a time without having to remember all about that mean world out there
1: it's true the podcast has been good therapy for you in your high school days you know that
0: we were talking about um that that's a perfect segue to those massage seats I was talking about. Totally. Um apparently you can fit it can like link in with your Garmin or Fitbit and then provide you a massage function that's best suited for your body and heart rate.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Okay. Wait, yeah. so this is like so this is kinda like the robot that the forester has that's staring at you all the time except <laughs> In Mercedes, it's like on your arm or in your pocket.
0: Yeah, and it's like, wow, he's re- he looked really stressed out. Let's make the uh, let's let's crank the perfume. My, let's put the uh, massage function to a really strong setting. It, is there a new there, perfume
1: with the GLE? Are there I'm new moods? I'm certain there is. I'm almost new certain there
0: is. I hope so. Um, I don't know. I'll, I don't have the list of the moods in front of me this time. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Uh, can I also add though? One of my favorite features in modern cars. This is going to go back um, to a more simple world here. Is heated seats <laughs> and heated steering wheels. You, yeah, you got to agree with me. That's pretty cool, right?
1: No, it is great. It's, and it's a feature we've had since at least 1990. <laughs> yeah, you got to go back. <laughs> now the Mercedes. You know what else is cool, Sammy? You know yeah. what else I think is Hit fuel injection. That's pretty awesome. You want to talk about that too? Do you A-B- think people are A-B-F? interested in that?
0: <laughs> uh, we can go into ABS later. Um, okay. The Mercedes-Benz GLE not only has a heated steering wheel and heated seats; it has heated um, armrest and door- the entire door panel is uh, is heated. Is, gets heated up. So, so it's like the Seven Series and a few other BMWs.
1: I'm not sure the BMW does the whole the horror. I remember it, it used to do the armrest. I don't know. Well, if- I mean, realistically, you don't need to do the whole door panel. I mean, it's fine. But it does sound like, again, something that's going to short out at some point, And then they're going to be like, yeah, new door is $6,000. <laughs> like, there's no debate. That's just how much it costs. Um, so
0: it's a pretty wild vehicle. I enjoy it because it's extremely comfortable. It's quiet. It's smooth. It's got a pretty solid engine, uh, two solid o- engine offerings. If not, and uh, it's a slightly better um, transmission. And, um, yeah, those features are a little gimmicky. The car starts at um, let's see. it starts at just under fifty five thousand dollars, and that is for a real real drive version of the car, the g l e three fifty It starts at when you get all wheel drive, it's gonna set you back uh fifty seven thousand dollars, and then the four fifty that comes at sixty two thousand dollars and this is all u s pricing
1: okay okay, so and do you feel that that's competitive based on you know cayenne and? Um, BMW, and I guess you know you could also kind of throw Volvo in there with the S90 or the, X- the XC90. Sorry, XC90. I think the XC90 you can get with a third row though, right?
0: And you can as well with the X5. It's a very optional third row. It's a well, very. It, it, I, sorry, I, I, I don't mean to say a very optional. It's an optional third <laughs> row that is not exactly um, I, conducive to holding.
1: People. Do you think that that third row will disappear now that the X7 on its way? No. Really? No, I don't.
0: How come? This is a brand new X5. They're going to tell me that they they're offering it with that optional third row and then taking it away. That's a it's wild. I
1: mean, okay, unless they want to push people into the X7. I think
0: the X7 will sell as many as they're going they're going to need. Like, you think I, so? I man, luxury car buyers they gobble up their vehicles. <clears throat> I don't know how. You know, me and you have both looked at the lineups of actually both BMW and Mercedes are saturated, um, oversaturated in fact, with cars that I don't understand why they why they exist. We talked about those coupe crossovers. If they can sell coupe crossovers, they can sell three row crossovers and th- and they and can sell a two row
1: X five. I'm just saying. I'm just saying they
0: can't. Of course, the two row X five is still available, but there's a third row for those people, and then there's the X seven for for other those others. people. For people who want it. And also, have you seen this X7 in person yet? No, I haven't. It's a ridiculous looking car. It's, I don't know. I think I mentioned this earlier with their interior design. I don't know what's going on with BMW's design team. Um, I'm not sure if they're just including every design element from, from their team to be like, yeah, that, looks, that sounds like a great idea. Put it in. Um, or if they just don't know, how to say, they don't know how to say no to people or if they just ran out of ideas. But they're, they're new cars have lost a lot of the design, I don't know, wow factor. And this is a problem. The, the new X5 looks like the old X5. If you look the, at the new GLE, it looks sharp. It looks really, really good. I like it. It looks very different than the outgoing GLE and looks much better. And there's a certain element to it, especially with the rear um, pillar, that you can tell looks like uh, it looks like the outgoing GLE in that way too. It's nice.
1: So, do you have anything else you want to say about the GLE? Because I have a vehicle I want to talk about that looks quite different—quite different, quite different,
0: than quite the different GLE. from
1: from pretty much everything else around it. it no, in some I think, ways, I
0: think I'm done. I think I'm done with the GLE. I'm looking forward to comparing it head to head to some of its com- competition. Again, it's so cool that there is this much choice in in the segment where you can choose one that is meant to be stiff and car-like, and then you can choose something that bounces around and is smooth and quiet.
1: So what have you been driving? I think, what is unique? What is different? What is this interesting? Well, I spent a week in the uh, Kia Stinger, uh, but this time, instead of the Kia Stinger GT, I drove something which in Canada is called the GT line. It doesn't really have an analogy in the US, but it's the turbocharged four-cylinder version of the car, which is the entry-level engine instead of the twin-turbo V6. And uh, I was really curious about, I I had driven the four-cylinder very briefly, like perhaps 20 miles um, at the launch event a couple of years ago, or was it a year ago? It, it's, it's hard. There were there were quite a few Stinger events that I went yeah. to. Um, but I was really interested in the four cylinder for a couple of reasons. One is one of the fun things about the Stinger GT is all the power that it has. And it's a big, heavy car. It's 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 a Grand Touring car, hence the GT name. So you need all of that power. And I was like, you know what? I like how this car looks, and I like the feel of it, but am I going to like it as much if I have significantly less engine under the hood. Like how is that going to, to turn out? Sammy, have you driven the, the four cylinder version of the car?
0: Yeah, actually uh, I've driven it. It was the first uh, interpretation I've had or the first experience I had with the Stinger GT or the Stinger non-GT in the US. Um, it was a four cylinder and I found it to be really good, but not th- it wasn't the wow factor that you get with the other with the with the six cylinder model. That That's model true. I, really really blows you away. In fact I would say that the Stinger four-cylinder is a really good competitor to all the people who are still looking at buying something like um, a, a, a Honda Accord or a Toyota Camry but don't need as much space and maybe want uh, something a little bit more fun to drive. So I, I don't know what you mean by not as much space given that this is a giant hatchback. But... I think the rear seats might be in favor of those midsize sedans.
1: Well, so my impression of it was, I kind of agree with you that it doesn't have the wow factor, but I don't think it needs the wow factor because I think the car, I think the Stinger stands on its own without needing to blow you away with power. I think that it is a overall a well designed vehicle that looks great no matter what engines under the hood, Mm -hmm. and it's very practical with that giant, like I mentioned, enormous hatchback in the back. Uh, It really, there's 23 cubic feet of cargo space, which is like full size trunk, and that's before you, yeah. yeah, that's before you fold down the rear seats mm-hmm. um but uh the, the the performance difference is is noticeable i mean the the car comes with 255 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque and that's like 100 horsepower less 110 horsepower less actually than the twin turbo 3.3 liter v6 mm-hmm. it has the same transmission though uh it is a eight-speed automatic and uh, the model I drove comes with four-wheel drive which adds 2200 bucks onto the sticker price so e- e- the model I drove most likely matches with what in the US is called the premium Version of the Stinger, so that starts at 39, and then you add 22 for the the all-wheel drive. The base Stinger, though, you can get all-wheel drive with that too. So if you just want to spend 32 grand for a rear-wheel drive, if you want the all-wheel drive, it's another two. So you're still under 35, around 35, 36. So it's it's not an outrageously expensive car. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 car, as I mentioned, it's visually striking it, to the point where I was actually driving uh, late at night. And I had someone pull up beside me at a stoplight, roll down their window, someone young, and ask, start asking me about the car. They knew what it was. They knew it was mm-hmm. a Stinger. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to my, to know my opinion on it. And that doesn't happen very often <laughs> uh, when you're not driving something exotic. So kudos to Kia for getting brand recognition really rolling with this vehicle. Um it's uh it's not easy to do that especially not you know as everyone's telling us so sedans and hatchbacks are all dying in favor of suvs at least someone's paying attention to something that's not jacked up and uh rolling coal but I,
0: uh, I do agree with you though the the stinger does get a lot of attention a lot of younger buyers are interested in it because it's got a great price point it's fun to drive it looks cool it doesn't what I like the most about it is it doesn't look like whatever the popular last generation vehicle was, which was, I guess, like the previous generation popular vehicle. It's like a Camry or a an Accord. And it doesn't quite look like those. It looks cooler than that. It looks a lot like an Audi. I
1: mean, I'm and just going to put that out there. think that's super
0: cool. I think that's really what really gets people's attention. I said yeah. really a couple of times there, so I'm sorry about really, that. Really, have really, really, really. Have I hit and, the the really limit?
1: Yeah, you can't say really again for the rest of the podcast. You okay. can say actually, though.
0: I'll, um, I'll try that. It's going to be totally difficult.
1: So I, mine was finished in a pretty striking blue color. But the other thing Ooh. I kind of like about the the Kia is whether you have the V6 or the the 4, it, there's not a huge visual differentiation between the cars. Um, it, wheels are different and stuff. But it's not like you don't look at it and go, oh, that person only paid for the $30,000 version of the Stinger. Like, it, it, it still has some prestige even uh, with the entry-level engine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was talking earlier about how it's a big car. It's only two inches longer than a Camaro (laughs) and only, like, 2.7 inches longer than a Mustang. It is not—I mean, it it doesn't—because of the four doors and because I think the roof line stretches out— Uh, towards the rear with that fastback look it looks a lot larger than it is but it's it's not i mean coupes have gotten so much bigger these days that uh, doing a reality check on how large a car actually is 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 often surprising um things that i i I kind of didn't like about the car Mm -hmm. so the the turbo four it's enough power uh it's great on the highway it feels fine it doesn't throw you back but you can pass you can do what you need to do around town it was a little bit bulky on me. And What do you mean by that? So the week I had it, we had a couple of snowstorms and a couple of rainstorms because Montreal weather is amazing. And um, I was playing around with the traction control settings, turning it on and off. I was playing around with sport mode. And what I discovered was the car doesn't really like to be hustled very hard with the 8-speed automatic set to sport mode. What ended up happening is the throttle response felt really jumpy. And when I would go around a corner, it would back the throttle off unpredictably and then come back on, almost like an on-off switch. And I had that happen more than once. And it was always when I was trying to drive the car in a spirited manner. If I was just driving around normally, I didn't notice any real hesitation from the car. But it was really surprising because it's not saying same – I've driven the the V6 on a an ice track, actually. Yeah. Um, at very high speeds and had no issues at all with uh, power delivery. So this might be unique to how the four-cylinder is programmed. I've driven um, the four-cylinder
0: on track, and uh, but that was a rear-wheel drive model, not an all-wheel drive model.
1: I, I also got some, a little bit of uh, throttle hang, more throttle hang than I would uh, like. Yes and that would occur where it almost felt like again this hesitance it would hang and it wouldn't shift and it Uh. was like a little bit confused as to what was happening so that was somewhat disappointing but again i don't think this is a performance car this this model is not a performance car and if you're driving it normally you're not going to have these issues
0: um what can you tell me about what do you think of the interior in this four-cylinder model this gt line model is it up to the standard of the the other models, the the full line V6 models. It's fine. Um, okay. It doesn't have I that don't... like really drop dead gorgeous interior, does it? Like those well, seats in the level models are quite nice.
1: I I haven't been inside a, a GT uh, a, a full GT in a while. I remember liking it very much. A direct comparison is a little harder for me to do in my mind. Okay. One thing that I that I can tell you though is the the switch gear on the center console. Um, oh. It was a little bit frustrating because it I was I always wanted to have the heated seats on because it was quite cold and in it's a toggle switch for the heated seats but it only goes in one direction (laughs) so if you want to if you want to go through like there's three settings so so you have to toggle 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 to go all through go through all three. if it's a toggle, it should be able to flip back and forth yeah, and go from two go to three, two to three. Yeah, exactly. That's easy.
0: That should be, that should be addressed in a, as soon as possible. I don't Just know make it wise. a button. Yeah.
1: Just make it a button if you don't want me doing that. So that was a little annoying. Uh, another thing that was annoying is it never remembered that the heated seats were on. Um, I didn't have any memory functions in the car for either for, for the seat or the steering wheel or anything like that. But uh, it, it's cold outside. I get in the car. The heated seats were on the last time I drove. They should come on automatically. That's kind of – you know, you were talking about how heated seats are a great luxury, and I was saying, well, they've been around forever. The thing is manufacturers in the last few years are pretty good at determining what you need to have on in the car based on outside conditions and the last profile of what was used in the vehicle be- on the last ignition. Cycle. So most cars will remember your heated seat and your heated steering wheel and turn them on or allow you to program that somehow. This one did not do that.
0: Okay, uh, and I I would appreciate that, especially in a in a car that's being marketed kind of premium rather than you know mainstream model. And I think that's what the key is going for. I think that's a good that's a really good point.
1: And one other thing about the interior is I had a rattle in the right rear of the car that i could not track down and the vehicle i I picked up was brand new it had 15 miles on the odometer when i picked it up and i multiple times went back to the hatch area at first i thought it was maybe the front license plate which had been removed and it was on top of the spare tire well on top of the Mm toolkit. i took that out put it on the back seat Nothing. I took a tool out. I put it on the back seat. Nothing. Still had the rattle. The the toolkit itself is wrapped in foam, which is placed inside the spare tire, which is yep. inside the spare tire. Well, all of that seemed very solid. I could not for the life of me figure out where the noise was coming from and it was annoying you it, it happened when i would hit a like a pothole style bump from the right rear and it really felt like it was coming from inside the car so that was disappointing i talked to kia about it afterwards i ha- didn't get an answer on it i don't know if they looked into it but i was surprised by that did you also ask them about your throttle issues no, I didn't no. have that kind of time, Sammy. Okay. You know how busy my life is. It's just podcast after podcast I after know, podcast. I know, I
0: know, I um, know. Okay, yeah. hit me with the price point of this in can, in Canadian dollars again, because you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, and I no, wanted to I, bring No, I'm up. only
1: I'm, I'm only talking U.S. dollars. Okay. So it, it's it, this. The one I drove is around forty-two thousand with all-wheel drive.
0: Would you get this or an all-wheel drive? base mustang? version an all-wheel drive
1: four-door mustang
0: base what? version of the G- genesis g70 also so, sorry wait did you say something about an all-wheel drive mustang
1: no i didn't that's crazy why would anyone talk about that
0: uh genesis g70 versus kia stinger all-wheel drive models because looking at the price in canadian dollars it co- it starts at forty two thousand dollars in in canada and okay, that's a know, very similar vehicle
1: yeah but for, I, I don't know what the canadian price is for the stinger I i told you the u.s price so i have no idea oh okay um I think the Canadian price, the the Stinger in Canada starts at. Why, why are we even talking about Canadian pricing? What's the G70 price in the U.S.? What's the the entry-level price there? Uh, let me find that for you. Um, but I can tell you it doesn't really matter what the price is to me because you can get a manual transmission with the G70 four-cylinder, which is the right. same engine, and you can't get that with the Kia. And if you're forcing me to pick the base trim of each vehicle, I'm going to pick the one that has the manual transmission. Okay. all day long so the genesis is the yes is the most definitely 100 the genesis is also lighter and it handles better um, with, with all-wheel drive the the uh, stinger gt is about with in the four cylinder it's about 3,800 pounds um the all-wheel drive system adds about 180 pounds to the mix so if you if you're a rear wheel drive you're kind of about the same weight as a mustang mm-hmm. uh, but you add the all-wheel drive and you're kind of eking up there Okay,
0: so an all-wheel an all-wheel drive Genesis G 2 T, which is a lot like what you drove. Perfect, right?
1: I guess, except I don't think you can get the the manual transmission with all-wheel. Drive. No, you can't. Okay, so, so I'm trying. I'm starting. trying to
0: compare uh, similar vehicles here, because you had an you had an automatic, right? I don't
1: really think they're similar vehicles. Okay, never mind. Well, we can still compare it, no, but we're I not. mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can I get a three series too? Like, where are you going with
0: it? Like, what what are you saying? Okay, yeah, sure. Tell me, would the Genesis? Sorry, would the Kia four cylinder model that you drove, this all wheel drive four cylinder model, how would it compare to other sports sedans in the segment? Would you want it more than a Genesis G seventy, which the all wheel drive models cost thirty six, almost thirty seven thousand dollars in the U.S.
1: No, the, the 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 well, and 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 that's base. And if you get the base Stinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all-wheel drive, it's still cheaper. But uh, the Genesis is a better drive. Yeah, it's just a it's a lighter platform. It's a better implementation. It's it's okay. Better is maybe a harsh word. It's a different implementation of the same platform. I also prefer so, the
0: interior of the G70.
1: Yeah, my personal preference is G seventy, but I don't think I don't think Kia is competing against it. I don't okay. think th- I think the Kia is competing against the Dodge Charger and the Nissan Maxima and the Chevy Impala maybe. It's it's uh, or or maybe even Buick with uh with their larger luxury models now. I think yeah, that's I don't a, know I if it's a Regal. I think it's maybe the, the with the Regal Sportback. I don't know. The Sportback yeah. feels a bit smaller, but I think I think it's its own niche, and uh, I don't know how big that niche is. I, I mean, none of the cars I've listed are, are huge sellers, especially not the Maxima, even though it's a very good car. Um, but I don't think if if you wanted to position the Stinger against the true luxury car, you'd probably have to be in the V6 GT because then the power is going to make a big difference and it might sway you. I, entry level, I mean, the transmission for me, the bulkiness that I had, I don't really like the, the, the power delivery in the... Um, I don't okay, I'm not going to say I don't like it. I find that the BMW 3 Series and 4 Series four cylinder engines, I find that they're very quick, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily passionate. I find that, that in terms of engaging you as a driver with the automatics, I don't think the Kia Stinger's four cylinder is any better than than that. Um I think it's perfectly adequate for for what it's doing. Uh, I don't really know if there's a four cylinder in that segment uh, aside from the Genesis with the manual or the BMW with the manual, which is it's better. Um, that that really kind of stirs the soul. So that was a really long-winded answer. I think we should just move on.
0: Okay, sure. Um, it does sound like an interesting car, nonetheless. I think it's important that there is two engine options in the Stinger: the four-cylinder and the six. Because the six, as impressive as it is, can get a little expensive and thirsty on gas. And the four-cylinder seems a little bit like uh, the more um, adequate vehicle. It's it's totally acceptable for everyday use. Yes.
1: Sir? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, yeah, you you totally wrapped it up. Are you ready totally to go? Are you up. ready to go into one more
0: quick segment? We got we got an email. We talked about this on the last podcast with Chad. Um, uh, an email from Corey Osgood who, well, he mentions he wants us to to kind of uh, bring back this conversation about full size cargo vans. He,
1: well, yeah, I mean, Corey has some complaints because Corey yeah. himself is a is a van owner and uh, he owns um a ProMaster. He, he owns, owns a ProMaster, master, yeah. So I haven't driven the ProMaster in quite a while. I drove the ProMaster when it first came out, and I remember not being overly enthusiastic about the driving mm. dynamics of it, but, I mean, it's a van, so it's not necessarily meant to be um, fun to drive. But it, it did seem very versatile. Uh, I like that I could stand up inside of it. I like the way it could be outfitted. Ram put a lot of thought in it. it, it it's a Fiat, right, it, in a lot of ways um, with uh, with a different drivetrain. And, uh, but the thing is... Um, Corey drives this all the time. So he is talking about uh, the things he does not like about his vehicle. So he's a little bit taller, mm-hmm. and he finds it's not comfortable to drive for long periods. He can't straighten or stretch his legs. And, you know, if you're thinking about the seating position inside the Promaster, that is exactly what I would imagine. I'm not tall, but even, like, being cramped up in that front cab had me thinking about that at the time. Um, he says that the ergonomics of the vehicle are not great, where the parking brake is located uh, it's actually on the outside of the seat, Mm -hmm. so If you pull the parking brake and you try to get out of the car, it's in the way. Um, And he's had a bunch of mechanical problems. Uh, He's had broken flex plates on the transmission. It it melted its own headlight housing, which he he suggests seems like a bad design, which is – I can't argue with (laughs) that. You got it. Um, That's right. Basically – he says that he, you know, he could rant for hours, uh, but he doesn't like the fact that, you know, this is a third-gen Fiat Ducato, which has been on the market since 2006, and they brought it over almost 10 years later, gave it a facelift, put in the drivetrain from a caravan, and it's still not. Uh, up to spec like he's like that's enough time to figure out all these little issues so um i I want to say i agree
0: completely with him i had a ProMaster uh when i moved uh downtown once and um as as functional as the cargo area was it was one of the least interest like it was it was frustrating to drive in in many ways because it was hard to see out of the the cabin the front cab was
1: completely
0: um it made no sense ben i don't know how else to say it it's just <laughs> nothing in the interior seemed to work from that ridiculous um handbrake to to just the way the steering wheel is placed downwards in front of you almost like you're a school bus driver you're i don't know it's so bizarre um and the driving dynamics because it's that front wheel uh front engine based vehicle it it didn't make i don't know if it worked at all it didn't seem to i don't know how that would work in. in worse weather conditions
1: so uh, what 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 vans in the market would you <clears> recommend <throat> over the promaster because i i've driven the sprinter mm-hmm. i haven't driven the most recent sprinter but i spent a lot of time in the previous gen uh, i've driven the nissan nv and i mean they're they're decent vans uh they as far as vans go i don't have major complaints about either of those vehicles i have not driven the transit though so uh, it, which ones have you spent time with and which ones do you like the most in a world where vans uh i mean we have to really keep in mind that these are purpose-built vehicles yeah the, it, for for cory it's his it's his daily drive he, he spends more time in it than his daily driver because he's driving it for work he's in there mm-hmm. six hours a day so everyone you, the, 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 when i say purpose-built it's kind of a. Uh, it, it can come out as an excuse. It's like car companies are like, well, you know, these vehicles aren't – no one's driving them for pleasure. No one's driving them home at the end of the day. At the same time, though, if it's your full shift is behind the wheel of that vehicle, what what you're driving is just as important as the cargo that's behind you and how easy it is to access that cargo.
0: Absolutely. Line. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I've driven the um Sprinter. Uh, I, I've had it more than just once. Um, I had the previous generation Sprinters and I had the brand new one. Um, I have driven that Pearlmaster. I've been in a in a Transit. I'm not sure if I drove it for any extended period of time. I haven't been in the new Nissan NV, which is my which is something that I'm. It's a total failing of, uh, as a journalist. I'm really disappointed, and I can't believe we brought this up on the podcast. And now I'm really getting self conscious about it. So um, I would say the Sprinter and the can in the Transit the, are are two of the better vehicles in the class. They are very well done. Um they seem like they're built for that customer. And they and they try to make a limited amount of those excuses that you would find the way that uh FCA would describe the the ProMaster. I think the ergonomics are much more in, in place are better in place. They both are available with um some impressive infotainment systems. I think you can get the SYNC three on the transit and you also get that MBUX I was talking about earlier on the new Sprinter, so they're trying to make them more convenient, easier to use, and less like a a second-class citizen on the road. I would say both of those vehicles are probably the better bet for you.
1: Okay, that's that's a really interesting opinion, and you know. It's true that it's, we don't often get a lot of time behind the, the, the wheel of these vehicles. It's harder to get them in press fleets. So uh, when they do appear, I, I do try to make an effort to drive them because it's it's so unique from based on what we normally drive because it's really interesting to see what a company feels is absolutely essential about a vehicle because that's all you're going to get in a van. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then – the current crop of vans, one of the other things I find fascinating is we've seen this total shift away from the world where vans were basically pickup truck chassis mm-hmm. with a box on them. And they were rear-wheel drive based to this more of a focus on front engine, front, well, obviously front engine, but front-wheel drive vehicles imported from Europe. They're much more efficient. They they have uh, a smaller form factor just in terms of the front end of the vehicle, so they're easier to park, they're easier to maneuver in an urban environment, and we—it's it's been an almost total transition. So it's this new paradigm of van. I can't believe I said paradigm of van. Especially when
0: talking about a van.
1: <laughs> I know, and uh, it's—it's it's rare in the industry that you see a change like that. It would be like if tomorrow all of a sudden every pickup truck was like the Dodge Rampage. <laughs> <It'd be> like, <laughs> So it's it's it doesn't happen very often.
0: Uh, I'll add that there's two different things we we should uh, we should discuss when trying to pick out between the Sprinter and the Transit. Um, I believe the Sprinter is available with all-wheel drive, and that's something I'm not quite um, certain on on the Transit. However, the Transit can be had with a um, a diesel engine, which is hard to find in the in in actually in passenger vehicles as well, um, and it's something that might be more up your alley, especially if you're doing some towing. Or want to save them some fuel costs as well. So it's a 3.2 liter Power Stroke um, I5 uh, inline five turbo diesel, which is pretty important. Um, you say Power Stroke? Yeah, that's what I said for the for the Mercedes. No, the sorry, did I say Sprinter? I meant. Yeah, you said Sprinter. I'm so sorry. Let me that's let okay. me let re, me recover here. The Sprinter is available. I'll just with, edit this out. Don't worry. No, don't you won't. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Sprinter is available with all wheel drive. But if that's not an important aspect of the vehicle, the transit is available with um, a diesel five-cylinder engine, which is pretty impressive, a, a power stroke diesel, which is what I was get, getting to um, there earlier. So that yeah. might so, help if that's something that you're um, looking forward to in in your vehicle. If you think all-wheel drive is more important or if you think something like towing and or um, fuel economy might be more important.
1: And, and I just want to put this out there. I drove a rear-wheel-drive sprinter to the Arctic Circle in the month of January in Alaska, and we did not get stuck once. So there you go. All the I time. don't know Maybe how. Overrated. <laughs> Maybe overrated. Maybe um, overrated. S- Sammy, if people want to find, find out more about what's overrated or just want to find out how overrated we really are, how can they do that? Yeah,
0: we spent a lot of time talking about gimmicks, and the biggest gimmick of all is our podcast, right? Um, yes, totally. It's to... the only
1: thing that makes me feel alive anymore. <laughs>
0: You can come to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and you can listen to all of our old episodes and you can subscribe to receive our new episodes um, right there on the homepage, which is pretty fantastic. You can also see photos of some of the cars that we've been driving um, and as well as links to our social media pages, our Facebook page and our Twitter accounts, um, which is pretty handy as well. You can subscribe. uh, Sorry, let me just make sure that people know where they can subscribe using their favorite client. They can subscribe to us on Spotify, which is really handy, Um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts. Um, I'm certain we're on Pocket Casts, and I think there's another one we're out there, Castbox or Shoutcast or who knows what.
1: (laughs) Casting around, that's what we're doing. Casts and pods, dogs and cats living together. You can find if you want to get a hold of us and ask us questions like Corey did, we always appreciate that. And you can do that in a number of ways. Sammy prefers the cesspool at his Twitter. Uh, You can get him there at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I myself prefer the friendlier confines of Instagram where everyone's just nicer. And you can find me there at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or you can send me smoke signals, or you can use semaphore, whatever works for you. What What about a pigeon? i'm sorry sammy i i hate to break this to you but the last passenger pigeon died 120 years ago oh man i know i know anyway on that heartbreaking note uh what are we Again, doing next always. what do we have coming up what do we have coming up don't we have a secret episode coming up soon okay but aside from the secret episode what what do people have to look forward to after the secret episode?
0: uh let me take a look at my calendar what are you driving
1: Well, I'm going to be heading to Abu Dhabi, of all places, to drive the Audi e-tron electric SUV. Oh, that's right. I'm excited to talk about that. I'm
0: actually going to Portugal to drive the brand-new BMW 3 Series. And let's see if that four-cylinder has some passion to it. I'm going to ask them specifically about
1: that. Yeah, ask them about the passion, then ask them if the passion lasts 15 years, like in the Mercedes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, that'll be a good episode. I think everyone should definitely listen to that episode. It'll be coming up after the secret episode, and uh, we're going to, I guess, sashay our way into the holidays on that note. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, goodbye.